Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. We're glad you're here. I'm Kevin McDonald, your host for this grand adventure, and I thank you for joining us. You see, our mission is to create a positive personal connection to all things with courage and love. We invite terrific guests, interesting topics, and great conversation, all in a fun, entertaining way. And we always manage to learn something, too. So I hope you will stay right where you are for this episode of Positive Talk Radio. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Positive Talk Radio. I'm so excited because uh, this this young lady is not only is she very educated and very talented, she's a wonderful person with a design on really on helping humanity do something that we have yet to figure out how to do yet. So we we're going to start working with that, and uh, and she is doing a great job. Now I have to tell you, if I if I screw up any part of this, it's all my <laughs> I've been practicing. So Gisela Taraba uh, is, and uh, she is from the Maitri Center, which is located in to our friends in the north, because uh, you guys are so much more enlightened than we are down here. It's just <laughs> I don't think so. But people tell us that, but I don't think so. Well, we all have our issues. Oh, we all have our issues. And uh, and the Maitri Center. Maitri is Sanskrit for what? Loving kindness. That is such a wonderful, uh, wonderful name for a business and, and to do what you do. And one of the major things that you do that I'd like to kind of focus on if we can, because I'm not even sure I have the definition of what is compassionate. Yeah, um, compassion is, um, and it, there's lots of different definitions of compassion. Um, people, I know the Dalai Lama, and there's a lot of literature that defines compassion as the ability to witness someone's suffering, and then to be with that suffering, as well as have a desire to alleviate that suffering. So rather than seeing someone suffer and moving away from it and saying, get away from me, you want, you care for the person and you want to help them. Um, from our perspective, there is an element of allowing things to be, allowing all things to be, which is um, sometimes people want to help other people, but with attachment. So if you see a homeless person and you give them money, you're like, well, you know, the expectation is you're going to do something good with it. But really, if you're giving the money from the heart, whether they use it or not is, is really up to them. And so the um, compassion really is to feel with. Uh, and want to do something. But there's a difference between compassion and empathy. People think, uh, and they confuse them, but empathy and compassion actually activate different areas of the brain. So empathy really activates the pain area. So if I see you suffer, Kevin, I'm going to suffer too. So if you, if you're drowning, I'm going to drown with you. Uh, but compassion actually activates the areas of the brain that release oxytocin, which is kind of like the, the feel good uh, neurochemical right it makes it's like what we get when we somebody gives us a hug it actually enables us to hold space for ourselves and actually witness your suffering but not from a place of like i'm going to drown with you but actually i'm going to remind you of your power and help you up if you desire so that's kind of the difference between empathy and compassion and that's how we define it 
Very nice, because there's also that that judgment thing that gets in there somewhere, which mm -hmm. which is like with a homeless person. It's like, I'm not going to give them any money. They're just going to go buy booze with it. Well, you know, quite frankly, that's none of your business. If they do that, you know, if you're being compassionate, you will take you will work to be kind to them. And if that's what they go do, that's that's the, that's their deal. Is that is that kind of right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's at least from our perspective. Suspending judgment is really in, in approaching things with curiosity. So rather than, you know, saying, oh, this is how people should be. We get curious about people's behaviors. Why would someone want to go and spend their last dollar on maybe they have trauma that they're, it's unresolved and that's how they hope. So it, it really is about getting curious about each other rather than judging. Um, and it's interesting because I did a post on this recently. Um, people confuse judgment with discernment. Discernment is being able to take a look at my life and say, okay, I want to choose that. I don't want to choose that. I want this and I don't want that. But once you introduce resistance to the discernment, that's when you start to get judgment. I hate this. I hate that. That person sucks. <laughs> this sucks. This. And so when we start to get resistance, when we start to say, I don't, I really don't want that and feel kind of a lack of power, we start to judge people. So how we get out of judgment is to go back to discernment and say, that person has no power over me or this has no power over me. I'm going to choose this or that for myself. How, now, how does compassion play in the workplace and at home and stuff if we are going to try and really build a better a better place a better world for us to be in how, how, how can we be compassionate to other people when when everything in our every bone in our body is saying i'm gonna judge you and you know, how do we how, how do we get away from that? Yeah, so that's so good. Um, I think the starting point for compassion, and that's one of the things it says in the literature, and I know I myself have experienced it, um, is to start with yourself. You really can't be truly compassionate to someone else unless you can hold space for yourself and truly accept all those aspects of yourself that you don't like. So it really is about being compassionate to yourself first. And so holding yourself with, um, with kindness, uh, instead of motivating yourself with that harsh inner critical voice, motivating yourself with kindness, with, with nurturance, um, being able to give yourself that which you're seeking from other people, which is, you know, love me, look at me, you know, like th those things that we seek externally, being there for yourself, uh, not hurting yourself with your negative thinking. I used to do that quite a bit. Um, also being mindful is another component of self-compassion because a lot of the times we spend our time either worrying about the past or feeling guilty about the past or worrying about the future. And then we miss the opportunities to be joyful and happy in the moment. So mindfulness helps us be in the present moment so that then we can be aware of how we're feeling and how we're thinking. So then we can offer ourselves that compassion. The other aspect of self-compassion is, sorry, is oh, that common oh. humanity. The more I give, to, the more I fill my bucket, the more I have to give to people for my overflow, not for my reserves. So that helps me understand others. So when I, when I behave in ways that are so not unloving and I give myself nurturance, I'm more understanding when people act that way towards me. And you also work with or talk great, a great deal about about uh, uh, positive affirmations and yeah. and and doing and and also the law of attraction and doing things like that because in in reality, I, I wanted to ask you, 
when we're talking about self-love, we're talking about ourselves. How do we get out from that? Because there seems to be like a place where you go where you admit you admit your failings, but then you are rather than accepting them, you're making excuses for them. Is there a difference between, you know, I'm sometimes not a very nice person, but it's because how my dad treated me when I was, is there a, a, is it, is it, yeah. does it happen to people? <laughs> yes. I love this question, Kevin, because it, you hit the nail so spot on. We cannot make true changes until we release the resistance because resistance is actually what hurts us is that that inability or unwillingness to actually feel those difficult feelings. The minute we're saying this is Kevin's fault or my dad's fault or my family's fault or somebody else's fault, we're not accepting responsibility for what we perceive and what, how we feel. And so compassion helps us be aware of what we're thinking and feeling. That doesn't mean that people didn't do stuff to you. I myself experienced some childhood adversity. So and that happened. That really did happen. But me continuing to hurt myself with my thinking because of the, the messaging that I absorbed was all me. And so in order for me to change that and shift from somebody who had anxiety and panic attacks to somebody who now no longer ha has that, I had to accept responsibility for how I was treating myself, what I was saying to myself and managing my own feelings. So the minute I look outward and say it's their fault, I'm really not stepping up into my own power because then they have more power over me than I do. And so part of changing is really accepting that Yes, they might have done something hurtful to me, but I'm no longer going to allow other people to determine how I feel about myself and what I think about myself. That is a powerful statement right there, because that that is one of those things that we carry around trauma or victimhood yeah. from years past. And we give the people that perpetrate that against us a lot of power by keeping it in the forefront of our mind. And, and so that when we have a problem, we can we, we always blame it on them. We can blame it on that and stuff. But ultimately, the only person that we're hurting is ourselves because they don't even know we're thinking that, probably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so interesting because we don't see that we're continuing to hurt ourselves, right, with all the thinking. And I remember, like, you know, for the longest time, I kept looking externally for what I could give myself internally. So I was so like, I didn't really love myself. I didn't love how I looked. I didn't love um, how, the personality that I had, I guess. I, I really had a hard time finding things that I liked about myself because of the messaging I felt I heard when I was growing up. And, uh, and so I kept looking externally for that validation. But the problem with that strategy is that when it's not there, your whole the whole card of love and, and self-esteem collapses. And so I decided to build a foundation that wasn't going to go with the winds of whether people perceived me as worthy or not. And, so, and that's a stronger foundation. And, and, and indeed it is. And, and there's somebody that's out there going, Oh, come on, Gisela. Come on now. You're, you're an educated woman. You're a very pretty woman. Uh, you, you talk well. What's not to like about you? When you say you didn't even like yourself, how could that be? Yeah, thank you. It's so interesting. Um, so I grew up in an environment where uh, my parents and my mother in particular experienced a lot of uh, child abuse and neglect. 
And so she grew up a traumatized person. And so we were taught kind of the strategies of traumatized children. Uh, and so we weren't taught to trust anyone. We weren't trust, taught to um, really kind of uh, believe that the world was good or that people were good. I didn't um, look in the traditional way because we immigrated from Peru. I came to Canada when I was 10 and I didn't look in the traditional way. I don't have a traditional nose. I don't know if you can say that. And so I always, so I, and that's, and it's so true because we attach to images of what we see in the media. And so I thought my nose isn't perfect enough. My, I'm not thin enough. I'm not white enough. And all of these messages, which are not true. Anything that we say to ourselves, that is not, it's not true. We are all, all beautiful and wonderful and worthy. Like we don't have to earn love. We, we just, we could just deserve it. And so all of these messages that I told myself, I would actually see and hear from other people because from my perspective, everyone is a mirror of us. Everyone's mirroring back to us exactly what we need to hear in order for us to grow. And so any messages that I heard, which say positive things, which is, you know, you're an attractive person or you're a smart person, I would disregard because the mind doesn't like to be wrong. <laughs> so because we don't like to be wrong, I would only listen to the people that would actually say negative things to me. And therefore that became my world because I was only confirming what I already believed for myself. But when I changed, when I started to appreciate those aspects of myself, which is, you know what? I think I'm an attractive person. I think I'm a smart person. I think I, I'm a person who does good things. And even if I didn't do good things, I'm still worthy of love because I exist. And so that once I shifted that, I was able to let in the people that were saying all those positive things that were giving me love rather than really putting so much weight on people that maybe weren't. Oh, I agree. Well, you know, one of those things is like when we're born, after they clean us up and stuff, everybody <laughs> says we are, we are just adorable because when we're just born, we are but ugly. But when we after they clean us up and stuff, then every baby is beautiful. Every baby is lovely. And then we spend the entire, it seems, rest of our lives trying to figure out that we are that we are that, because the evidence that we get from that point on is a downward slide that uh, that we're not good enough, we're too fat, we're too short, we're too you know we're we're too something or we're not enough of something, and uh, and so yeah. and I'm glad that your work and your people are working to help people understand that having a little compassion, a little love and, and uh, in, in the workplace and at home can change everything. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you said that because it's so true, Kevin. So our work really isn't about teaching people about like, it's about, it's an unlearning. It's because we believe at the core of our souls that we are truly loving and compassionate beings. Yes. And if you look at it from the kind of biological perspective, when we used to be like, you know, like the hunter gatherers, we couldn't survive if we weren't in a community. We couldn't survive if you were the person who's trying to take advantage of other people. You just, it, so our default setting is empathetic. It is compassionate. It's just, we've learned all of these messages that say that we're not worthy, that say that we're not good enough, not attractive enough, not smart enough, not whatever enough. Um, and so it's about kind of un unmasking those beliefs because they're kind of like an onion. Sometimes you don't even realize they're there. Like for me, I didn't realize that as I was, you know, um, shaping my career, I didn't realize that, that I had like a hidden belief that I wasn't aware of, which, which actually would say to me, 
I can't have everything that I want, but underneath there was, I wasn't worthy to have everything that I want. And so, so my inner critic voice wasn't horrible. It wasn't like you suck and you know, like you're horrible, terrible person. It was much more subtle. But when you start to kind of, you know, like peel the layers, you start to see that underneath there are some core beliefs that are really holding us back. And so it really is about becoming more yourself, your true, true, authentic self, which is loving and compassionate. I just had a thought that, that I want you to confirm, confirm or deny it for me. Sure. <laughs> Excuse me. And that is this. When you're young and you're and going to embark upon your career, there's a bunch of stuff you've never done. If you're like in my world, I was a busboy. I'd never been a waiter. Um, and then when I became a waiter, I was never a captain. When I became a captain, I was never an assistant manager. And, and so you, so you get to a level and you think I'm not capable, or I don't think I can do the next level until you get to the next level. And you look back and you say, Oh, I was, I was really good. I could do this. I can do all this, but you don't know it until you experience it. It would be so much more handy. <laughs> If you believe that you can do anything and then you set out to work through it and, and to make it happen, understanding that you can do anything, but in our experience, you don't believe that or at least I didn't. Yeah, no, it's so, so true. And I, I, you know, and I love the fact that you actually did it anyways. Yes. Cause you know, you've heard this, I'm sure you've heard this, this saying, which is like courage, isn't the absence of fear. It's, it's being afraid, but doing it anyways, it's moving forward. Despite the fact that you, you know, your knees are buckling and you're like, I feel like I bit more than I can chew. Um, but that, and it's so true. I, I don't think we know how much we are capable of until we hit that next threshold and then we keep going and going. But the fear, a, a little bit of fear is good because sometimes it's telling us, you know what, like we're getting a new level, we're hitting a new thing, this is exciting. And sometimes we confuse excitement for fear. Uh, but fear is problematic when it really holds us back. And a lot of the times we we give up really stepping up into our own power for the security. But security feels not always great. Security is only good to a point once you know you feed yourself and you're able to put a roof over your head. And then it just feels like, ugh, like stagnation. And so many people are stagnating right now, stagnating at work, stagnating in their lives because they're too afraid to take the next level. But courage, again, is doing it anyways, which is is scary sometimes, it feels. And then you throw in the fact that a lot of us don't believe that we're capable of it or don't aren't good enough for it, so we self-sabotage ourselves. Yeah, and that's why, the, the you know, people love manifestation. I don't know if you guys have talked about, I'm sure you've talked about um, in this People love manifestation, but they don't realize that. And I connect this to self-compassion and self-love. The reason being is a lot of the times or sometimes we hold ourselves back because we don't believe we're worthy or we don't believe we're capable or we don't believe. So all those limiting beliefs are holding back your manifestation. The universe is like a kitchen. It wants to give you what you want, right? And so when you go there and you make your order, it's working its little hardest to bring you that manifestation. Your job is just to align to the vibration. But a lot of the times what happens is that we start to question our order. We're like, well, you know, maybe ordering the lobster was too much. Maybe I should just settle for the chicken. The chicken, you know, I always get the chicken. And so the kitchen starts to go, okay, she doesn't want the lobster. <laughs> 
so so it's you stop it you stop these manifestations and then you wonder why what you know other people must be special that they're able to do it and not me there's nothing different from us than oprah there's nothing different from us than the the you know the most i don't know talented or rich person there's no difference we're all that fought from the same you know energy it's just that we hold ourselves back when other people go eh, okay i'm just gonna do it would you explain to me why inherently when we do something naturally well that when somebody compliments us on doing something naturally well we have a tendency to downplay it and say oh well everybody can do that that's not the case everybody's different you have different gifts and you've got a lot of positive things that you can bring to the world and but we tend to downplay what we do well and we accentuate what we suck at why is that <laughs> I think there's an aspect of socialization. I think we've really been socialized that that is uh, egocentric. So we have this kind of uh, false idea of self-love and self-compassion and, and being able to kind of um, acknowledge ourselves and say, you know what, I'm, I'm a really good parent. You know, I may not be so good at this, but I think I'm really good at that and, and be able to honor yourself that way. Uh, but we have been taught that that is selfish and egocentric you know one of the discussions i have usually with people is about the, the fact that people believe self-love is narcissistic now what people define as narcissistic is really people trying to get other people to do their will because they need that attention but tr people that truly love themselves and accept themselves don't need other people to do anything like they they, they um they give themselves everything that they need. They know that they're worthy. They know that they're enough. So if people aren't giving that to them, they'll just find someone else who will be able to give them that. So it's it's totally different, but we have been socialized to make it acceptable for us to point out our flaws, but not also balance it out with complimenting ourselves when we really do well, but we do ourselves such a disservice because we only believe the negative. We also sometimes don't accept compliments from other people, like from other people either, like you were mentioning, right? And so then when then we start to feel really down about ourselves and really don't love ourselves. I have a good friend of mine who has made a paradigm shift in that, in that when somebody when she gets a compliment now, she says, Thank you, I accept that. Rather than rather than no, no, don't be silly or you're just being kind or you're just, you know, making an excuse for why somebody's giving you a compliment when they genuinely meant to give you a compliment. So is that is that a good strategy? Yes, it's a very good strategy. Somebody else had shared with me that there was a post on social media that said, you know, I'm going to give you your flowers, <laughs> whether you choose to throw them out or keep them is up to you, but I'm still going to give you your props. Right. And so it's allowing people to to honor you that way because it's really about you honoring yourself is you saying just thank you just thank you is enough just thank you you don't have to make it a bigger thing um and then when you do that you really are just honoring yourself and honoring the fact that and you're also being grateful to the person who's noticing that in you you're giving them an opportunity to give you flowers right i gotta ask you because you you've been studying this for a long time and you and you you've worked at it and you understand it and and you're living it um what do you say to somebody that's like huh 
crap, Kiesel, I can't do that. I don't. I, I can't figure it out. I'm I'm hard on myself. I can't seem to like you know myself. My my butt's too fat. And oh, by the way, you never. As a human being, we never get to see our own butt the way it actually looks because it's always in a mirror. Uh. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Sorry, go ahead. As a and, person who has a flat butt, who people have told us a flat butt, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, but that's but that's that's secondhand information. You never that's can. That's true. <laughs> unless you can look around 360 and you're like really limber you'll never any in any event i digress but uh um we never get a chance to, we never look at ourselves the way we truly and really are how do you give us some steps so that we can learn how to appreciate ourselves for who we are and i'll give you let me give you an example yeah there was a there's a guy that's going to be on my show next week and I interviewed him last, I met him last week. His name is Reverend Rob. He's from Florida. He's a tarot card reader. And he gets he gets on and he's got this white mustache. And he's got glasses that look remarkably like mine. And he's a little heavier than me. And we, but we were, we could be from the same mother. And I was sitting there looking at him going, oh, he looks good. He looks fine. And I was looking at myself. Oh, no, I'm fat. I don't have any hair. I've got da 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 da. Why do we do that to ourselves? Yeah. Um, again, because we tend to really buy into the negative, we really buy into that belief and we look to criticize ourselves because part of it is we haven't been taught to do that. There's been kind of this messaging. I know my parents, they were doing the best they could, you know, like there wasn't like sometimes there wasn't nurturing. Sometimes there was, sometimes there wasn't right because they were trying to hold space for themselves. Right. And so they were doing the best I can. I know I am doing the best I can with my kids and they tell me we're not doing such a good job. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that, you know, we've been taught to perceive loving and being compassionate to your to ourselves as narcissistic, as overindulgent, as, you know, as weak, weak. You, you have no idea how much I hear about oh, compassion in the workplace. That's weak. No, it isn't. It really takes a lot of strength to sit and lean in and have compassion for somebody who might be bullying and harassing people and have that conversation. It really takes a lot of, of, of strength to lean into someone who may have made a racist comment and say, okay, you know, we're going to get curious about what's happening for you that, you know, like how you've been, you know, socialized. And so we have been taught that these things are weak when really they're extraordinary strengths in the truth of the matter is that we are all so, so beautiful and we are so, so powerful. And, you know, I, I give this analogy to my children, you know, you know, because my, my kids sometimes talk that way. They're like, well, so-and-so is so thin and she's so beautiful. And look at all the stuff on social media. All these people are models and no, I don't look like that. Um, and it's like, you know, it, if the world was full of roses and just roses, what a boring, gar what boring gardens would be, right? Like there's so much diversity in flowers and they're all so beautiful and gorgeous. And if we didn't have that diversity, the world wouldn't be as beautiful as it is without those different flowers. I don't think the flowers are all going around, you know, comparing themselves. Oh, I wish I was a rose or I wish I was, they're just being, right? And so we naturally have this tendency towards the negative. We have not naturally have this tendency to protect ourselves. But the truth of the matter is all we're doing is really harming ourselves. So to answer the, the first part of the question, which is, what if somebody's saying I can't do that? And I have heard it. 
is be willing. Be willing to take a step. Be willing to even be willing to start. Be willing to start one thing or to take a step or to, you know, even if it's just being more mindful about how you talk to yourself and saying, no, thank you when you say a really negative thought or to extend yourself some compassion when you're feeling terrible and you're looking to someone and they're not supporting you just to say, you know what, just put your hand on your heart and just say, I'm here for myself. I'm here for me. Or, you know, like, you know, may I be happy? May I be healthy? You know, like just send yourself some positive affirmations. All of those small moments add up. They really, really do add up. And eventually you find that you are actually living a, a much, much more full and abundant life. When I first started meditating, it was gritty. <laughs> You're like gritty, like to sit there for like even five minutes. It felt uncomfortable. I felt itchy. I would yawn. Sometimes my muscles would twitch. Um, but I take small steps. I said, okay, today I can only do three minutes, but I'm going to do three minutes. And then slowly over time, now I can meditate over an hour and a half, over two hours or longer. I mean, it, it honestly feels amazing because it feels like there's space between my thoughts. Like I can just, there's sometimes it's just quiet, which is awesome. But if you told me in the beginning that it was going to be, that I was going to get here, I would have been like, no way. <laughs> it just feels so terrible. How can I get there? But it just takes the commitment. We have to show up for ourselves and say, I'm willing. The pain of not changing has to be greater than the pain of actually sitting with the greedy meditation. <laughs> That's exactly right. And just, just actually just being quiet and being reflective is is really helpful. You know, a, fu a funny story, because this is so pervasive, what happened to us in our, our youth, that they, we do things that we don't even recognize that we do. Yeah. I'll give you a, a quick story. When I was like 12 years old, my mother went to the store. It was Saturday. I always cleaned my room on Saturday. And this particular time, I got motivated you know sometimes you just feel like cleaning so i yeah. got the vacuum out and i cleaned up everything and i dusted everything off and i put everything away and i even put the vacuum away and uh, my mom came home i even shut the, the door where the vacuum was and my mom came home and i said can i go play and she said no you haven't cleaned your room and i said yes i did come look at it she said i don't have to I said well how, how do you know that and i said the vacuum's put away you didn't even get the vacuum out so, but no, I got it out. And so, you know what? Today, I'm a 64 year old man. Guess what's not put away? <laughs> the vacuum. It's <laughs> so, it's so interesting how we are just stuck in our lens at times and we don't see beyond that. I noticed that with myself when I, when my kids were littler, how I, because I think how my parents and I interacting about cleaning in particular was pretty, it was a chore. Like it was, it was heavy. It was, it had to be done to perfection. And it was, uh -huh. and so I had a lot of a pent up anxiety and frustration when it came to cleaning. And then I noticed that I was doing that to my kids and it was, it was, it was a war because I have kids who have strong personalities and I'm grateful for that, to be honest. I love my kids with that, that strong personality. So no one was a stepdog, but and so it, it ended up always being a fight. I would end up being frustrated. I would feel like, oh, the kids never do any of this. And so I was starting to make blanket statements, very similar to maybe what your mom was doing. Is like, you know, I know that you didn't do it, so therefore I, I can't. And so I said to myself after the nth time I was having an argument with him, I'm done. I can't change them, but I can change how I react. Where do I have power in this moment? Okay, I'm going to change how I react. So then I said, what, would the ex what experience would I like to have? 
I would like to have an experience with my children come and they feel like you motivated to clean. They understand the reason why cleaning and taking care of yourself is important. And so, okay, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reimagine my children as individuals who are interested in keeping their rooms and themselves tidy, right? And who want to contribute. And so I did have a conversation with my kids around, okay, it is the expectation that before you're going to do some other joyful thing that you do clean. Um, and here's the reason why I would want you to clean. It's not that I think, oh, this is a, a chore for me. Is you are learning skills on how to take care of yourself, how to honor yourself in your environment, right? Like you're, you're, you're you know, you're taking care of your body, you're taking care of your living situation. Um, and then when I, I, what I noticed was, and I also let go of the resistance. So the resistance is a big one. If they didn't do it, I would just let go and say, okay, so they didn't do it this week. It's not a big deal. My schedule is not their schedule. And then I also said to myself, if this is really that important for me to clean this particular weekend because somebody's coming over and they're not helping me, I'm going to do it myself. Now, people don't have to choose that. I just said, for me, my mental well-being is worth more than me having an argument with my children. What I noticed was that they actually had an interest in taking care of them. Once they understood what the purpose was, my kids started taking an interest in cooking. They started interesting, like they do other chores. And it, it totally shifted the relationship. Does that mean they're perfect? No. Does that mean I'm perfect? No. But I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I changed how I perceived them and I let go of their resistance. And then they were also able to do that piece, those pieces. And so I, I completely understand what you're saying about sometimes as parents, we get kind of stuck in that perception of like, you always do this and you always do that. And we can't let go of that schema. And then the kids do that back to us. We have to be willing to reimagine our children and to let go of the resistance. And Please that, that helped me. Absolutely. And that that is actually even uh, important in the workplace and everything else because, you know, we, when you're a boss, I got, I got the opportunity to be a boss. And uh, I was a general manager of several uh, restaurant properties. I had 70 employees and four management people and all that kind of stuff. And everybody had to be nice to me because I was the boss. And, <laughs> but the reality was, is that if you take that as a big responsibility, because you have to look out for 70 souls to make sure that they're well adjusted, that they're happy, that they're in a good work environment. The interesting thing is, is that turnover goes down, productivity goes up, uh, your customers are happier, your employees make more money. A lot of good things happen with, with that when you, when you take it from the standpoint of like, like with your kids. If, if you are a perfectionist, and this is, I'm talking to you out there, if you are a perfectionist, please don't pass that uh, neurotic behavior onto your children. Because for me, that's, that's just, an, that's, that's, being a perfectionist is not, you know, my mom was that, and it was, it's just a terrible way to live your own life, let alone to pass that to your kids, yeah. I think. Yeah, as a, as a kid who grew up from a perfectionist household as well, it's, it is, it's like the person themselves, like this parent, because there's, it's so much stress. It's the stress of this has to be done a specific way, it has to be perfect, and it has to be done, and it's, it's so overwhelming that I know that's how I felt. Um, yeah, and, and, and it, it doesn't really help. In terms of the workplace, um, I think what you said is so spot on. Um, it kind of, again, we've kind of been socialized that the, that the 
people needed to be bosses and the, the power over the staff and that really it's only about the customers. But you don't understand that the customers are having the experience through your staff. So if the staff are, are happy, if the staff are flourishing, if they're giving opportunities to find value in their work, if they're valued, if they're recognized, they're acknowledged, they'll give 110%, even if you don't pay them more, although you should. <laughs> it's it's amazing what people can do when they feel passion in their work, when they feel like they're really, really contributing to something. Because your goals and the goals of the staff are the same. People that apply to jobs, they want the, the business to succeed. They want everyone to flourish because it impacts them directly. And so when we take those approaches, which are like very power over, you grind them down, like it's all about like, you know, like you don't treat them as human beings. You don't treat them and their families as human beings. It actually does negatively impact your work. It, you, there's, you're, you're, if you're just going to think dollars and cents, you're leaving money on the table because then you're not, you're not really investing in these people and helping them be the best. And then therefore you're not really giving your customers the best experience they can have. Um, and so well, it's, it's true. The best example I have of that is uh, uh, I'd been a general manager in a couple of properties and I went to a new property and the previous general manager that was leaving was a dictatorial guy. He liked, he liked to have things his way. His turnover was like 300% year over year. And it was, it was not a great situation. So I go into the first staff meeting that I have with the entire restaurant staff. And uh, I say to them, I want you to know that my job is really simple. It's to make you the most money that I can get you to make. <laughs> and the look on their face, you should have seen. It was like, what did he just say? Did he say he wants me to make more money? And I said, <laughs> one guy said, well, how does that work? And I said, well, if my customers are happy and you're cooking the food and it's beautiful, and you're waiting on them and they're enjoying the experience and the bus people are keeping the place clean and the dishes are clean and everything, then the customer is going to be happy. Then we're going to have more customers yeah. and then they're going to tip better. And then we're going to have more and more. And, uh, and, and so everybody from the bus boy up for the dishwasher up makes more money. Wins. Yeah. It's, it's an everybody wins, but it's so funny because we've been taught this, we were taught this mentality about the, the whole boss versus leader. Right. And it, the actual core thought there is fear. Yes. So there's a fear that I'm not going to have enough. My margins aren't going to be enough. My, you know, my board isn't going to make enough money or, and so it's, it's based on fear. And so therefore what happens with fear is we constrict, right? We try to, to, be more controlling of our staff. We be we try to be more we try to be more perfect. We try to do all of these things, and it actually has the opposite effect. It really does have the opposite effect. Um, and so, but when we allow people to flourish in that, there's they have a vested interest in making the most money that they can, and so your companies will flourish. And I think we are from what we're seeing is we're abandoning those old models, and the Great Resignation is a great example of that. People are no longer willing to be in workplaces that are toxic. It doesn't matter how much you pay them. And I know, um, I know I've spoken to a number of businesses that they're saying, well, how much more can we give people? What benefits can we give people? It ain't about it, that. It, it, you, can, you should give people appropriate benefits so that they can take care of their families, of course. But the truth of the matter is, if you have a toxic work environment, no amount of money is going to keep someone there. 
You're going to have huge turnovers like you suggest. People are now no longer willing to do the grind because part of it is the culture of young people. Young people are making millions on social media, on, like on YouTube. They're making money. They're entrep different entrepreneurial things that they're doing. And so the older generation are observing this and saying, wait a minute, I have been doing the grind, keeping my nose down, you know, with a power over workplace and making maybe this much money because I was just keeping my security. Meanwhile, these other individuals are flourishing. They're doing all of these different things. We no longer want to experience that. And I think part of that great resignation was that COVID sent us home, right? So if you had a home, if you're homeless, then unfortunately you did not. Um, but for those people that actually had somewhere to live, we got sent to our home. So we were no longer part of that culture. And so when you step out of that and then go try to go back to a toxic culture, a lot of people just said, you're not paying me enough money to go do that. You're not paying me enough money. So we saw a rise in, in entrepreneurship, which is people wanting to figure out how to do through networking, through, um, you know, like working from home stuff and so in doing stuff through social media so that they don't have to go back to that spot. Oh, there is nothing worse than a toxic work environment. If, if, if you are going to work every day and you hate the fact that you're going to work every day at this particular place, it's, it's that to me, that's hell on earth. Yeah. 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 You know, and one of the things I used to be a director of HR in an organization. Um, and then one thing that I saw was that your body has a way of telling you when you've maxed out, people go on sick leaves. That's what happens is that is that that you get you max out at, at one point and then people just stop showing up to work because they can't do it. And then they get judged for that. But the truth of the matter is what's going on for them is is that they can't take the culture anymore. That either they're doing something they shouldn't be doing work wise, like meaning that's not their ideal career or the stress of the job or the culture is too much for them. And so these are opportunities, how you introduce compassion. And that is really having conversations with the person, like what's going on for you? Maybe something going on at home, or maybe this isn't just the career path for you. Maybe a, a referral to a career counselor, or maybe better if you really, if maybe this is not the right fit for you. And so there are opportunities for us to get curious about people's behaviors rather than judging them as, oh, they're lazy or, you know, oh, they're sick again because, you know, that's, they're just not well and really trying to understand the reason why for people's behavior. Um, one of the things I've learned in this work is that behavior is language. If people can't tell you verbally, they'll tell you and how they behave about things. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, are you, are you were an HR director. My, one, of, one of my favorite uh, quotes came from a HR director. And he, he said, uh, you know, that old saying, the grass is greener, greenest on the other side of the fence. Well, that's not true. <laughs> the grass is greenest where you water it. And so I was like, wow, that's a t-shirt right there. Because it's, yeah. it's, it's like, you, you, regardless where you're doing, where you're at, the grass is going to be the greenest where you water it, where you give it your most attention and yes. where you put it there. And that, that's, you know, that's, that was... It, that that is a good way to live i think oh, so good absolutely because all while you're spending your energy and attention on looking at someone else's grass you're neglecting your own so it's a very profound insight rather than spending all that energy looking outward just put that same energy and attention and love where you are and appreciate yourself 
Yeah. How do you get people? How do people? How do? I think that's a learned skill. Having uh, based upon the fact that we we come out perfect when we're born after they clean us up, and then the we spend the rest of the time getting worse until we make a, a position statement that says, "I'm not. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore, and I want to change." How do you get people to change? I, no, I take that back. How do you help people change themselves? Yeah, so it's it's about aware. It starts with awareness. Awareness, because they, they have to get to that point where they actually make a decision to change. And then it's awareness in how am I treating myself? What am I saying to myself? What am I thinking? How am I reacting to different things? And that awareness helps you then understand how you're feeling because your feelings are your your navigators right they'll tell you well, this doesn't feel good this is or this feels good this is something i should pursue um so you get to to learn to trust more what you're feeling and then it's about i guess reprogramming your brain through mindfulness approaches through meditation through um different strategies for example we have something called the self-compassion break where you take an opportunity to just if you're having a challenging moment just give yourself some nurturing so you can put your hand on your heart you know like if you're having a challenging conversation and just take a couple of breaths like you had mentioned just the breath is such an anchoring thing it's so important that we take a deep breath and you can say mentally to yourself man this is hard this is hard right and then you remind yourself that you're not the only one. Lots of people are going through difficult times right now. So that's kind of the common humanity. And then you can give yourself little affirmations. You can say, you know, may I be happy or, you know, may this conversation <laughs> end well. Or, you know, you can set an intention in that moment and say, you know, my best wish for this conversation is that it's going to go well. Or that may I, may I be heard? May I be validated? May I be? Um, and then you just, by putting your hand on your heart, you're actually giving yourself a little bit of nurturing. Uh, because actually physical touch releases oxytocin. So even if you just put your hand on your heart, when you're having a hard time, when you're listening to that, it's a starting point. And so it's just about different strategies um, that people can use to actually start to really, um, you know, honor themselves and be there for themselves. And let's talk about uh, you some more and and your work with the uh, with the MyTree Center. By the way, if you go to www.mytreecenter, now this is the Canadian way of spelling center. Um, yes. because they put the <laughs> R in front of the E rather than us down here because we put the E R. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, uh, my, and it's M A I T R I Matri Center S or C E N T R E dot com. She's got a bunch of stuff there. They have courses that they do on a regular course, and right now they're all Zoom. Um, they've got a tremendous amount of information for you. If you are interested, if you're definitely interested in change, positive change, yeah. change that you can live by and that you can grow and that you can enjoy and it will impact your work life and impact your home life. And uh, you may even be able to make uh, a little bit more money because you're, you're going to remove some of the blocks that you've already put into place so that the universe says, well, you say you want money, but you're showing me that you don't want it. <laughs> So you said you wanted the lobster, but you're asking for the chicken. <laughs> what the hell you want me to do? I can't. I'm just trying to do what you say. And you're not giving me clear signals here. Oh, 
so 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 uh and, and her name is gisela and she is just charming and adorable and, I, and oh thank and you so much go to her see there you are and go to her <laughs> she's also got a podcast and she does some incredible work so uh and great i'm eternally grateful that you have taken the time oh. to be with us today oh no thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun i laughed quite a bit <laughs> which is great well, that's that. Sometimes I find that if if we can get people to to lighten up, even though this is a heavy topic that we're talking about, really they're talking about life changes and and who you can be versus who you are and all that, we can still have fun doing it. Yeah, yeah. Can we say how like amazing your talk show is? <laughs> the fact that you are spreading positivity, like, and, and and we need it so much right now. Do we not feel like we just? Kind of it's been it feels like sometimes gloom and doom so we need so much positivity right now so thank you for that oh you're so welcome and by the way uh this channel is positive talk radio is growing and uh, we're getting more people all the time it's a it's a, as you know being a hard uh, podcaster it can be a hard slog getting an audience it can yeah um because our episodes are so far like we we put an episode about once a month and so that was the thing that we had heard from our listeners, which is like, oh, but we, there's so much time between the two episodes. And we were trying to do two a month, but sometimes we don't do such a good job with that. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard. And and uh, this is you know, what you do is you help people. What I do is to bring you to my people so that you can help them. That's 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 what I do. It, which is it's the connections are so key, right? Like it's it's really and you also, you know, like you're giving people an opportunity to explore different aspects of themselves, which I think is is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I really appreciate having you here. You no, are, and can can I twist your arm and have you come back like once in a while? Yeah, for sure. That would be a lot of fun. Oh, awesome. and you got to come on my podcast. I do, you. When, you, you. <laughs> when you get your backlog taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Record. I just have them on standby, so you can record. <laughs> I, I, you let me know when and where, and I, my happy okay. ass will be there. That would be great. So, so Gisela Tarova has been our guest today. She is from the Maitri Center in and it's in, located in Canada. Um, and uh, but they do incredible work, and and because of the the. The, the good things about the pandemic are that we are now figuring out how that we can uh, approach things no matter where you are from a global basis. Um, so, I mean, I've been, my show has been downloaded in, in all 50 States and 65 countries around the world. Wow. So it is that's you a know, huge accomplishment. Can I just say that? Like that's huge. <laughs> I, I accept that. I accept yes. that. Oh, yay. <laughs> and if you if you'd like to sponsor this here program, I have got room for that as well. So, oh, good so good to know. <laughs> and that's what she says. All right, click. So, so, Gisela, thank you. Uh, before we go, I want to give you a moment to tell our audience that's listening now or in the future anything that you'd like them to know. Thank you very much. I appreciate that opportunity. Um, we're actually creating a community. Um, the Purpose is to be free. There might be some small charges depending on our provider, but we want to create a community where people come together to talk about loving ourselves and being compassionate to ourselves and others. Um, and so we are putting together a platform so that people can actually interact with our podcast, interact with other people and actually just help each other like 
lift and grow and you know um, share because for us it's not just the one-to-one -one with people or the groups like that way uh, we love for people to just form these long-term relationships so they can support each other on this compassion journey I will tell you that it is uh, in, the way that we live down here these days. I interviewed a guy yesterday and before, just before we go, and he was talking to me about the 40s and the 50s in our country, and, and he was from Brooklyn. And he, he said, well, you know, in those, in those days, Joey the plumber and, uh, and Johnny the butcher, and the, he was coming out, you know, they, they had like everybody was known by what they did, and it was a, like a local guy, and, they, and one of them was, uh, you know, uh, Jake the carpenter and, uh, and Bob the roofer, and they came and fixed somebody's house. And but that's we had intimate connections with the people in our community. We no longer have that. I lived in a cul-de-sac, a cul-de-sac for heaven's sakes. And it took me five years to figure out who was living next door. And actually <laughs> say hello. I, I can't criticize that. I live in the country and it's very rural. So my neighbors are like far. Yeah. <laughs> so talk about not really wanting neighbors. So what we, whatever what everybody would do is we would drive into the cul-de-sac we'd hit our garage door open or the garage door would go up we'd go in we'd go down and then we never left until we opened the garage door again to go to work and so we did not we did not form a community even though it was 11 houses and we were in the same cul-de-sac yeah. doesn't it feel like we've become afraid of people doesn't yes. it feel like we've been so and it's 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 a fear of ourselves. Like what I mean is, is that it's a fear that we're not going to be able to overcome whatever happens to us. I think right. it's, it's a lack of trust. Cause I remember when I, when I really kind of hit the wall with the trust piece, I really, I realized that it wasn't that I didn't trust other people. I said, I didn't trust myself to be able to cope with their betrayal. And so Ooh. once I realized that I had the power I had the power to overcome anything. People no longer were seen as a threat. Absolutely. And I, I want to leave you with one thing that I learned in a, in a seminar one time. And uh, um, I, I hope I don't get uh, sued for plagiarism. But it's, it's their <laughs> deal. But, but I, I use it from time to time because at one point the facilitator stood up and he said, I just want you to know your life is empty and meaningless. <laughs> And and people were okay. like, "What? Where's he going with that?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one guy stood up and said, "No, I'm a Christian, and I do this, and I do this, and I'm a pillar of the community and stuff." And the guy said, "No, you you misunderstand me. Um, when I say your life is empty and meaningless, every morning when you wake up, you get to decide what you're going to fill your life up with, and you're going to decide what meaning it has. Nobody else." So you have complete and utter power and control over your life and what happens. Oh, that's so powerful. That everybody, everybody oh, should. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That is amazing. That's absolutely spot on. Because if we can begin, because usually what happens is that because we are, our, our, our present creates our future, but it's based on our past thinking, right? And so right. we bring our past with us to the future. But what you're inviting us to do is to say, Leave the past in the past. Every day is a new opportunity to begin again. Oh, I love that. And I have one more for you. you, oh, years, okay. you <laughs> years ago, I was doing the radio show, and uh, Gilda's Club, uh, named after Gilda Radner, who died of cervical cancer. 
And uh, this was a cancer support group. And mm. I had several, several women on the show. And uh, one was a four-time cancer survivor. And she was in remission again. And I said, you know, you've been through a lot. What's your secret to life? And she, she looked at me and she said, you know, when you have one foot in the past and the other foot in the future, you're peeing on the present. <laughs> that just made that just made way too much sense. I, yeah. you know, so it's like the, just the as present, powerful. Yeah, the present is all we've got, and uh, so, so don't so worry true. about the past. If if you if you can find one person on this planet currently living that can do something about the past, let me know because I I don't know anybody that does or can. <laughs> You know, so we all we all uh, all we've got is the future or, or the present because the present will dictate what the future is. Yeah. Although I have heard of a, a couple of people like they, they talk about reality creation and they talk about like when you change your your current state, you can change your past. Meaning so if, if you're aligned to a higher level, right, like if you are more joyful, happy or whatever, you are kind of on a different trajectory if you may so that's a way of changing your past i guess <laughs> it, it, well it is because i, I stand corrected because, <laughs> because it is because if you change how you behave in the present you'll be seen differently by everybody that you interacted with in the past and they'll say wow what's he doing you know, he's changed or she's changed. She's yeah. a lot more joyful than she used to be. I don't remember that part. And, you know, and so I, I stand corrected. I'll, I'm going to use that. If, can I plagiarize yeah. you? Please, <laughs> knock yourself out. Just say it was yours, man. <laughs> anyway. I think I took it from someone else, so I don't know. <laughs> I have had a joyful time talking to you. Me this too. has just been Me so too. much fun. Thank you so much. Gisela Taruba has been our guest and uh, the Maitri Center in Canada. Go to www.maitreecenter.com. Uh, and I'm not going to spell it out for you again, but you can look it up and it'll, it'll, it'll come up. If, and if you'll wait right there, I'll be right back. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of kmmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named kmmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other, because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.